I feel like other woodworkers can relate with like how you're afraid of all the tools. Like they say, don't be afraid of your tools, but then still be afraid of your tools. You know what I'm saying? Like respect, respect the tools. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like you have to treat your business the same way. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Christina and Nick Molinaro, owners of the furniture company 25 and Pine. Talking with Christina and Nick, you quickly realize that this is very much a business first company for them. Yes, they love to make furniture, but the way they make it and even design it is based strongly in thinking about how they can continuously and effectively produce it for their clients. They are building a business that can seamlessly scale with demand and not reinvent the wheel every time they have to do it. So follow along as we talk about technology in your wood shop, the importance of social media for your sales growth, learning from trial and error, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Christina and Nick's journey in their own words. So in 2018, we had lived in like a small townhouse and Nick is an engineer by trade. So he came home from work one day and was like, hey, so we got this thing at work that I really want to buy. I think it'd be a fun hobby for us. It's called an X car, very specifically. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, sounds fun. I don't know what that entails, but yeah, let's do it. And so we have this in our garage and I'm like, so what do we do with this thing? (laughs) And Nick's like, oh, we can make signs. We can make all these things. So naturally we started down that road that most people do when they get a CNC and they're like signs and clocks and all the easy things. And then like most furniture companies, we bought a house and we were like, okay, we just need a spot for a wood shop because we're interested in that. (laughs) And then... Um, we started, we're like, oh, we can make ourselves furniture. We can figure this out. And we started with pine just to figure it out. Some of the pieces are still in our house today. <laughs> I always say we went backwards into woodworking, furniture making aside. Like we went backwards into woodworking. Like we had a CNC first. And the second thing we got was a chop saw. And we're just getting stuff from the home center and making random signs and just playing around. We started our Etsy shop and we were selling like signs like, and clocks and just whatever we could easily design. Like n- neither of us yeah. have like design, like a uh, like vector graphic type design skills. So it was just simple stuff. Now we got engaged and we started making wedding stuff. And we're like, oh, we can make an Etsy shop full of wedding things. And then that just never worked out because we don't have design backgrounds. So then we bought our house and we're like, oh, we can make furniture. And then we figured out how to use the CNC to make our furniture. And then that just like blew up after that because then my sister was asking for furniture and that was like our original table that we designed was our Liz table because she lived in a small apartment. And then we were like, okay, we can put this on Etsy. Let's try it. And that just like rocketed our business. Like this one table and one design, apparently everybody just needed on Etsy. And that's what took us pretty much from working out of our basement into a commercial shop a year later. So we just kept designing furniture, designing tables. I say furniture, but we mostly do side tables and small specific tables for small spaces. And we use our CNC now for everything that we make. And so Nick designs it with his engineering background. And then we figured out, or we don't want to sell like locally. We want to ship everything. But the worst part about shipped furniture is that you have to assemble it into like, it's a million pieces and it's so complicated. So we're like, okay, how can we ship assembled furniture? And so that it makes it there and that they just have to take it out of the box and 
set it up and be done with it. It just keeps tumbling into more. And now we had this idea recently to start selling our designs in templates so that other entry-level and DIY woodworkers could just go to and get a piece of pine and make a side table on a weekend and not have to have the tools like a CNC or a table saw. And they could do it with minimal effort required. So it's kind of coming full circle for us. <laughs> it's really interesting that you said you went backwards into furniture making. Because when I was listening to your story, that's exactly what I was thinking. You started with the technology side and you started with what people usually use to scale their business, but you started with that in the beginning without even really an idea that you wanted to start a furniture company. And, And then you worked backwards as, oh, we could make furniture. And once we put it out there, it did really well. And we are already at that level where we can produce it and produce it as an actual item, as an actual collection. So you you already made that jump before you even knew you were going to make that jump. Yeah, I think part of the reason for that was probably just the engineer in me. Like I've been around machine shops and things like that, getting parts made out of metal. So it was always familiar. And I have a CAD background too. So like the, the design came kind of naturally. I just like understood how to use the machine, I guess. I think in the beginning too, like once we switched away from signs and clocks, whatever, and started like making tabletops on the CNC or something in the beginning, we were really just using it to cut circles and like things really exploded. And what got us to the commercial space is thinking about it from just like a production perspective, right? Like one of the things I've been thinking recently, prototyping is easy and production is hard. Um, In kind of the beginning, we were in prototyping phase, like, oh, let's make a circle. What if we made a guitar pick shape or a rectangle? And it's like, you do it and figure out how to make the legs. And it's like a one-off or we're cutting mortise and tenon stuff or something. And it takes forever to put one table together. So in our basement, we're kind of in that prototype phase using the CNC to cut shapes. Once we got out of that mentality is when just our time became so much more efficient and that's how we scaled it up in our basement. And that's what just gave us like the cash flow to move in the commercial space. And when we did that, we were already thinking this production mindset. So we knew like exactly every tool to get to just optimize production and just make everything so much faster. So I really want to get into the production because that is really where you're making the money, where you're you're taking your business from just a, a fun idea to an actual business and something that's sustaining both of you and and your company moving forward. But I do want to jump back to talking about starting from the CNC and starting from the technology background and moving into woodworking, because I think that that's going to be a path that a lot more people are going to be taking in the future. And you're I don't want to say pioneers of it because it's it's been happening, but you're definitely at that beginning stage where people are starting to get the technology first and then work backwards. What was that process like from having the technology to then having to go back and learn wood joinery and how things go together and all the minutia of building wood furniture that people usually start with and have a base in? I think it comes down to design, right? Like we would think of, hey, we want to make a circle table. It was a lot of trial and error in the beginning. Like, okay, we can make it into a circle, but then how do we attach the legs? And then how do they stay together during shipping? We really put a lot of energy and thought into the CNC itself and like how we can best use that to 
make our business better and more efficient. But then too, I think the shipping side played a big role in the joinery factor because a lot of tables were breaking in the beginning. And then we're like, okay, we need to make something different to make this work. Yeah. I think like learning through joinery and just like basic woodworking stuff, it all came from YouTube. Um, So I think that's when my brain was in the prototyping phase. Like I see something on YouTube and like, Oh, I want to go try it. Or like some kind of tongue and groove joinery for whatever apron legs, just like random stuff like that. But definitely the other thing I was going to say was the shipping drove a lot of it, like designing, deciding on e-commerce as like our main revenue stream from the beginning kind of guided a lot of the designs and things breaking and shipping guided the designs where I don't even know what we would call our original leg. It was kind of like a half lap or whatever. And it was like a super thin tongue. So like during shipping, that would break. Then we started reinforcing stuff with dowels and then those started breaking and then we switched to dominoes and like there was reasons we didn't like that. And then finally, like where we're at now is like using panto routers to cut the tenons and the CNC cuts the mortise and that's super strong. And that's just kind of, it's taken a year, year and a half or something to get to where we are. But that really was just trial and error from just seeing a problem seeing how things break during shipping. It's the engineer and me wanting to come up with a better way to do it and also faster ways to do it. That's the other place that the CNC, we always saw it as like an additional employee and so that it can be running in the background. And I talk a lot about this on TikTok because people are always like, oh my gosh, CNC, it's so expensive. It's such a big thing to own, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but it's cheaper than a second employee. It's cheaper than hiring somebody and it's cheaper than the insurance and it can just be running. And that's why we have it cuts all the tops and cuts some of the joinery in it so that we have minimal hands-on pieces to do afterwards. I think that's why it's successful for us. <laughs> we think about it as somebody else. So it's like, how can we best use this machinery yeah. to make our production faster? Maybe in the beginning when you were both new to this and you were still excited about learning new techniques and, and figuring out how things go together. You couldn't have done custom work. You couldn't have taken anything that somebody asked and said, yeah, we can do that. But now you have the skills, you have the time, you have, you've put in the work and you understand how to build a piece of furniture. So you could possibly go out and start doing custom work, but you, you don't for the most part, you stay really in your niche and what has gotten you this far. What's the thought process behind that? Is it that you really want to lock down this market and you feel comfortable in it and you don't want to expand? Or is there another reason that you're staying in your lane for the type of furniture you're making? Yeah. So I guess what we haven't explained is I have very much of a business background. Like I have a business degree and Nick has the engineering. So he has like the design aspect of our business and I have all the business stuff. And then I do the second half of production usually. But I think what it comes down to is production and how to make it as easy as possible. So for us, it's pretty much been that is like, how can we best manage our time? We come at it. I think the hard part for, for us to explain and for people to understand is that we come at it from more of a business perspective that versus a woodworking perspective. And I've said it on TikTok before. Like I've said, I don't love woodworking. <laughs> like I'm not, it's, it's never been a passion for us until obviously now, now we get excited about it. But that's why I think we look at things with more of like a strategic mind. Um, and we're like, it's hard to ship these big coffee tables or console tables. Like it's harder to ship that. So like, why would we put ourselves in that lane if we don't need to if what we're doing is working 
the assembly part gets into question because then like if you have to assemble a table, then you have to make it easy for the, we're thinking more about the customer themselves, I think, than versus like what we would want to build because we've wanted to do coffee tables and all the things, but we haven't just because we're like, oh, okay, then how are we going to ship it? And then how are we going to sell it? It's just, we think of all the other steps that come along with it. I think one of the big things up front that we decided on was focusing on e-commerce just from an addressable market perspective. And we did do some local stuff in the beginning, right? Like big bar tops and stuff like that and just different cabinets and kind of stuff like that. But it just ended up taking so much like extra time of my time and Christina's time where we're just like working super late nights in the garage and whatever. And it's detracting from like our main business goal and like what we think we should be doing to be successful i guess like we just kind of did that for the paycheck probably we did that to fund the tools so that we could we only bought new tools when we had something to fund it or that we needed it for so if like we got a custom project we'd be like yes now we can buy like the domino (laughs) and then we were like okay now we have the domino how can we incorporate that into making our furniture better so one thing just kind of pushed the other yeah but yeah we didn't really ever do custom i think the other reason that i haven't super thought about customer been worried that we're not doing it is just like from a business scalability perspective i think it's a lot easier to hire somebody to do the milling and operate a cnc than it is to hire the master woodworker to do like a beautiful five thousand dollar ten thousand dollar kitchen table or something right like it's hard to find that person if we wanted to double or triple our production right now it's like okay let's buy another cnc maybe a bigger one let's get another planer another joiner another tables off and now we just like duplicate people and duplicate equipment and we can produce more now so that's kind of how i've thought about scaling volume i hear everything you're saying about not necessarily loving the actual woodworking part of it but loving the business part of it. And there is nothing wrong at all with that way of looking at a furniture business. It's just as much of a furniture business as somebody who loves the physical part of of building. There's just two different ways to look at it. And there's enough room in the industry for both. And looking at it the way you do, I think is incredibly interesting because it's not driven by what you want to build. It's not driven by your love of the craft. It's driven by you understanding your market. It's by understanding your customer. It's figuring it out that way. So from that perspective, let's talk a little bit about how you are finding out what your customer wants and how you are looking at it from that analytical way and deciding based on their responses what you're going to make because you know that there's a market for that. Yeah. So when we first started, we didn't take that many custom orders, but we would take them pretty much just to make new products. So that's where all of the names of our tables have come from. Um, So that's kind of how we've developed everything up until this point. But also just now that Nick is more in tune with the design and understand how things work, like, oh my gosh, we'll go on vacation or something. We're like, do you want to go into a furniture store? And we'll just like go around and look at how things are made. And then we just get excited or we'll see just like a random, I don't know. We just go about our day-to-day lives and see random things. And we're just like, I'll send it to Nick and be like, hey, can you make this? Or he'll send it and be like, do you think we could do this? And we'll just try to figure it out. More from, again, like the business perspective of like, we just want to make this work. How are we going to make it happen? Um, And then we figure out the woodworking after, I think. Yeah. 
I haven't thought about it in a while, I guess. But yeah, in the beginning, it's like we had a core table, like the list table, narrow side table, whatever. Um, that was like or the main one selling on Etsy and people would just be messi- messaging us with their dimensions or like they want a circle. They want it to look like this or be this tall. So that's how, like Christina said, some of the other collections were born. Um, but yeah, recently it's, I think, traveling in magazines. Like we're signed up for like all the furniture mag- magazines right now. Um, so just like looking through those, you get inspired. And I just like think about how can we do this with what we have and either make it super easy to assemble like a console table type thing or how can we make it robust enough to withstand shipping, things like that. Yeah. So it all comes back to shipping and efficiency and um, how it's going to work in our current workflow and process. It is kind of amazing once you go down that road of having a furniture company, how much furniture is actually out there that you don't yeah. notice when yeah. you're not in that world. But the second you are in it, it's like a whole veil is lifted and there's furniture everywhere that you didn't expect and exciting furniture or mundane furniture that makes you think of how you could make it better. So I know that feeling all too well, and I hear exactly what you're saying. I want to talk about shipping because you've brought it up a lot, and that is a major stumbling point for a lot of people in business. So let's talk about your shipping. Obviously, you have a product line, you have repeatable products, so you know the size of the piece you, I assume, have gotten your shipping boxes to be that size that's pretty self-explanatory but let's go the next step how did you set up the calculating shipping how did you decide what shipper you're going to go with and how did that whole process work yeah so like everything else we've done it's all trial trial and error and i feel like that's what a lot of people kind of skip out on um like we have tested so many different types of packaging. We would just order stuff and order stuff until we got it right. And as far as like shipping costs go, we had done like free shipping in the beginning because we're like, oh, everybody loves free shipping. We should try that. But we found that it wasn't working because obviously furniture is not super light and not super small and shipping's all based on your dimensions. So we just figured out what's the minimum size box that we could order what's the least dimensional weight that it would take up in a truck and how do we make it work so what we've narrowed it down to is trial and error of testing like packing paper versus like foam versus we've tried everything and i i'm more come from the eco-friendly side so i'm always like we have to use like the cornstarch foam and paper. We can't use plastic foam and it drives Nick nuts yeah. <laughs> because it makes more sense to use bubble wrap and the foam and stuff. But I'm like, no, that's such a waste. So we need to make it as eco-friendly as possible. Just took time to figure out what works, what breaks, what doesn't. Um, we ship everything now through UPS because we found that FedEx breaks more than UPS does. They will reimburse you faster. Uh, if you if you put in a claim, but they broke so many tables. We're like, all right, we're done. We're just cutting the ties now and pay a little bit more for UPS. So it arrives at least in one piece because that was cheaper than having to replace as many as we had to replace in the beginning. Um, we recently got like these stickers that go on the outside of the box and something will break in it so that it, it says that it shock was dropped. Detector. Yeah, shock detector. And even my UPS driver was like, 
what is this? I've never seen this, but I keep seeing them pop up. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it works or not, but at the end of the day, it makes the customer feel better when they receive it, that if it is red, then like your table might be broken. And if it's not, it's like, okay, well, they put in the extra effort to make sure that it's arriving safely. And he was like, that makes so much sense. I do a podcast too with Shelby from Homestead by Hand. And it's funny because she started the exact opposite as us. So she started building furniture and she was like, I don't want to figure out how to ship furniture. So she switched into like the smaller home decor stuff because it was easier to ship. So we always have this conversation back and forth because she's like, I don't get how we just have totally opposite stories. And it it came down to shipping. (laughs) You are expanding your business into templates and more DIY furniture where you're selling kits. And let's talk about that and how that balance works for you to be able to sell both types of products at the same time. Yeah. So a lot of people were stealing our designs and I know nothing we make is hasn't been made before, but we noticed that a lot of people were taking very close inspiration from them. So I don't even know how the template thing started, but it was like, we might as well just sell our template designs and people can just use that if they're going to take it anyways. No offense, but they might as well pay us for it. Um, And the templates for us was how can we have a shippable product that goes out faster, but also just growing on TikTok. People are always asking us about our designs and our joinery and how we ship things and how we make it work. Um, And so this was our way to reach that customer, but also like the DIY customer that wants to be able to build a piece of furniture in a weekend, like we, how we started out. Like, cause if we had this, when we first started, that would have, I think, totally changed our business today because we didn't even start with templates, but I know a lot of people do. And then the other part of it is that there are cutting board templates. There are templates for big chairs and big piece of furniture, but there's no templates for small side tables. And we never found designs of side tables that we liked. We talked a lot about the digital manufacturing, the CNC, the technology part, but we haven't talked yet about the social media and that digital aspect. How has your growth on TikTok and and other social media helped to grow your business? Because you're not a local business. You are planning your company and building your company in an e-commerce way, in a way that you're shipping, in a way that you're doing things worldwide. So you're not held back by a lot of the restraints that people who do sell local or do sell bigger, higher priced items maybe might be. You do want to get your name out there to everybody because you can ship to anyone and you can ship everywhere. So Can you talk about how social media has impacted your business for the better or for the worse? For the better, 100%. Like we would not be where we are without TikTok, honestly. (laughs) Like we just started posting on TikTok in 2020 like everybody else did and started to pick up traction faster and faster. Um, And it was at the point when I was going to quit, when I was quitting a full-time job to do this full-time with no success or anything (laughs) to do it. But in my last job, I kind of fallen into marketing and found that I really enjoyed it. And then it was like, I was like, oh, okay. If I hit 10,000 followers, I'm quitting my job. (laughs) So we did, like I literally hit 10,000 as well. I mean, at the point I was quitting. So 
I just keep posting and posting because I know that like that's the way the world is going, one. But two, like we started on TikTok when it was blowing up during the pandemic and it excelled our business like we can't even imagine. And I am the type of person that like when we go to fairs and festivals and stuff around here and I see local business owners, I'm like, oh, are you on TikTok? I need to follow you. And they're like, I'm not. I'm like, you need to be on TikTok. TikTok is like huge for our business. And you just have to show the behind the scenes. And it's so much about the story. And I think that's why people struggle with marketing so much and why I get a kick out of it is like, you can tell your story a million different ways, different times, and people aren't going to get sick of it. And that's like, what we fall back on every time. Anytime we tell our story on TikTok, it's like the views go crazy and we get sales. So it's just fun for me. I love making videos and doing all the stupid dances and trends. Um, Nick, you don't see him on there as much. And I'll try to sneak him in and people be like, where did Nick go? Is he okay? <laughs> but I just have fun doing it. And I think that that's what's brought us success through it. Right. And we'll, We'll try fun things. We're like, oh, okay, let's try this fun one-off design just for TikTok. Now it's like becoming our, let's just do it for TikTok. It feels very millennial of us, but it is. <laughs> and for context, you're at the recording of this, you're coming up on 100,000 followers on yeah. TikTok, I believe. Yeah. How are you <laughs> translating followers into sales because there is a difference between being entertaining and having people like what you're doing and follow you for that and somebody saying oh i actually want to buy what you're making is there anything that you're doing specifically to translate likes and views and follows into actual sales i was gonna say i definitely don't do anything to help <laughs> translate it but what i think is happening is us or Christina building an emotional connection with the viewer, right? Either um, like that viewer is building a connection with her or with our story. And, um, and I think that's when it translates to sales, like the the videos where it's just about a product or like, look, we got a Panther router. Look how we're doing likes now. Like those never do well. Those never lead to sales. But like every time we go back to the story, it's like we always seem to find new customers. Like what Nick said is connecting with the follow with your followers and the people and building a relationship with them and showing them a little bit about your steps, but not like going into like the full depth of it. And that's also where I find that people struggle because people will just like push their product, 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 product. And for us, it's like, maybe it's in the background or like, maybe I showed it for three seconds. We're not pushing it, but we'll show the product. We'll show the purpose, the problem behind it, like what problem we're solving and we tell our story, and that's how I think we can connect with people. You share your story on social media and with your customers, and that's really where people are connecting with you. And I want to take that a step further to other businesses for people who might have just started their furniture company or for people who have been doing this for a while but want to be doing it better. What type of advice could you share with people out there who are trying to take their business to the next level or trying to be successful like you both have been? Yeah, so I think for me, my advice would be don't be stuck on the specific product or your favorite thing that you're trying to sell, right? Like if you have something that you love to make or whatever and you're just trying to push it and make it work, like you gotta make what the market wants, right? So if there's something you're really passionate about, you keep trying to push it, it's, I guess, I mean, it's a two sides of the coin, right? Like if you're really passionate and believe in it, then 
maybe you can make it work, but you definitely have to take feedback from the market um, and adjust accordingly. Like for us, if clocks and signs sold really well, we might've not even got to where we are. Right. But since it wasn't, and it's like annoying to design something new every time. And it's just annoying workflow. Like once we found like cataloged pieces that would work, it's like, we just like that production way better. But like there was a ton of iteration up to that point of trial and error, seeing what worked. Yeah. Like what Nick said. And I think what we've, said repeatedly is like we've done everything through trial and error we're not afraid to ship something and if it breaks we'll ship another one i feel like other woodworkers could relate with like how you're afraid of all the tools like they say don't be afraid of your tools but then still be afraid of your tools you know what i'm saying like respect respect the tools yeah Yeah. (laughs) i feel like you have to treat your business the same way so that's my advice be just try it and go for it and be afraid, but don't be afraid at the same time and just kind of hope for the best. <laughs> be afraid and don't be afraid. It, it sounds it sounds like silly advice, but it's true because you have to balance both sides and you have to wear all the hats and you have to do all the things when it is your company. So I do understand what you're saying with that. And I yeah. really do appreciate <laughs> you both sitting down and taking the time and sharing your advice and your story so far. So thank you. And I wish you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having (laughs) us. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.